My gosh, it's bad out there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the nation. The phone number, if you want to be on the program, 877-973-7425. Good gracious. At 830, they released the inflation numbers, and it's bad. Now, we knew it was going to be bad because on Friday, uh, Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, started saying it was going to probably be bad. And the initial numbers did not look good. The estimates did not look good. Over the weekend, they started saying it even more. Well, yeah, the consumer price index, uh, we're at the highest rate since 1981. It is bad, uh, really bad. And um, it's probably not going to get any better. We are expecting Republicans to make a really big deal out of this. Duh. Um I, you know, I want to actually spend some time uh, in raw politics right now out of the gate. Normally, I try to take the headlines and do the headlines first and get to this later, but I wasn't able to be here yesterday. Man, y'all, okay, so, you know, I had to take off yesterday. Thanks for Alan Sanders uh, filling in. My son had a soccer game, a football game, and my wife is still recovering from COVID, so I needed to drive him, and it was like two hours, uh, two-hour drive there, two-hour drive back. And at 10 a.m., they canceled the soccer game because the other school forgot they had uh, standardized tests this week. <laughs> so, but I wasn't going to, Alan was already doing show prep and stuff. So I had so much other work to do. I, I had a working uh, day. It was not a vacation. I worked all day. But nonetheless, all the stuff I wanted to talk about. Uh, and now let's just spend some time on the doom that is facing the Democrats. It is... Uh, actually intensifying with the new data. I want to begin with a piece uh, from Politico. And really, the headline says it all uh, with this piece. A sour and angry America poised to punish Dems this fall. Dun, dun, dun. Now, here's the subtitle. This is very important. Biden and his top advisors know that the window to change the economic narrative through executive action is rapidly closing. This is how it begins. It's Ben White in Politico. The professionals who track American attitudes towards the economy say they can see the trouble coming. Angry voters slammed by higher prices and scarred by two years of fighting the pandemic are poised to punish Democrats in midterm elections, according to some of the leading experts in consumer sentiment and behavior. And with inflation persisting and Russia's war on Ukraine stoking uncertainty, there are indications that public sentiment is getting worse, not better, posing a growing threat to Democrats' already slim chances of holding on to Congress, they say. The widely watched University of Michigan Consumer Confidence Survey recently touched its lowest level in almost 11 years. A survey by the Associated Press, Nork Center for Public Affairs Research, showed that almost 70% of Americans think the economy is in poor shape, and 81% of those in a poll released by CNBC see a recession coming this year. It's going to be next year, probably. Gallup found the share of Americans citing inflation as the top issue is now its highest since the 1980s, back when, hey, the record previously was set until today. 
The big run-up in gas and food and home prices is already causing great hardship for many households, says Richard Curtin, a veteran economist who's run the University of Michigan Consumer Survey since 1976. And the Biden administration made a critical error in saying it would be transient and people should just tough it out. It wasn't transient. A lot of people couldn't just tough it out. And it caused a big loss of confidence in Mr. Biden's policies. Now, we can stop there for a moment. You know, uh, when you're in politics, you try to be an accurate indicator of what's to come. And if you can be an accurate indicator of what's to come, the public might just put their trust in you. So when you say inflation is transitory, it's going to come down. Relax. Don't worry. Well, people will give you the benefit of the doubt. You are the president after all. People presume, rightly or wrongly, but rightly, that presidents have uh, extra knowledge that they, the lay observer, do not have. So when the president and his team all say it's transitory, don't worry, it's not going to last. And by the way, it wasn't just the president. It was Jin Psaki. It wasn't just Jin Psaki. It was uh, Janet Yellen, the, um, the, the Treasury Secretary. It was members of Congress. They were all saying this. Well, when it's not transitory, they tend to discredit you. But this is this this goes back to something you guys can say with me. Y'all know what I'm about to say. Afghanistan. Yes. Yes, Afghanistan. Now, none of you, and I realize this is broken record time if you're a regular listener, but it's just so vitally important you understand this. None of you go to a grocery store right now and see empty store shelves and say, ah, it's just freaking Afghanistan. None of you go to the gas pump and fill up and say, Afghanistan. Nobody does that. But when Joe Biden handled Afghanistan in the way he did, Voters went from thinking the man was competent and cared to incompetent with no empathy. You know, uh, the, the people talk about the emotional quotient or the, the, emo, the emotional quotient, yeah, in politics. Um, empathizing with people is the greatest skill. If you can empathize with someone, you may disagree with them. But if you can empathize with them, you can build bridges to each other. They can relate to you, and they can begin to connect to you. If you're empathetic with the plights of other people, Joe Biden on the campaign trail seemed to be empathetic. And after Afghanistan, people decided he really wasn't. He had been lying the whole time. And the problem with that is thereafter, everything began to be viewed as the man's not really competent and doesn't really care. So you get to inflation and the Biden administration keeps saying it's transitory, it's transitory. When it's not, well, the public tends to turn on you. They've got an ax to grind and they want to grind it on you because you're the guy they thought they could trust who turned out to be an incompetent moron. And now you've been lying to them the whole time, telling them inflation was transitory. Listen, y'all may not like me saying this if you're a Democrat, but you at least need to understand what the hell is happening to your party right now. The voters are coming for you. The torches are lit. The pitchforks are ready to go. They are coming for you. And they're coming to you for you, not because you did anything. That's kind of the, the, the crummy part of this, if we're honest. The Democrats in Washington, 
They passed a bipartisan infrastructure bill. That's it. That's all they did. They haven't done anything else. Nothing good, nothing bad. They haven't done anything. But voters will be coming for them because of Joe Biden. Joe Biden did a lot. The voters are angry. The anger is starting to, well, make people realize there are other problems. The biggest problem the Democrats have is not the presidency right now. They've got it for another two years. The problem for the Democrats is they may have the presidency for two years, but they are increasingly likely to lose the Senate. Now, if you're in Georgia, you need to listen to this because as you know, I'm a little critical. Herschel Walker taking the Joe Biden routine of staying in the basement and not doing anything. He didn't show up to a debate. He's got a lot of baggage. The Democrats are going to go after him. But as I have said, in a bad year for Democrats, Herschel Walker could literally stay in the basement like Joe Biden did and win the race, never answering a single question. He could do that, and he just might. It is notable that the only poll that has uh, Raphael Warnock beating Herschel Walker in Georgia is a Democratic poll from PPP, which is a uh, progressive polling firm, and every other major media outlet poll that is that has no ax to grind has Herschel Walker beating Raphael Warnock. It also has the generic Republican in Arizona beating Mark Kelly. It also has uh, Adam Laxalt beating the senator from Nevada. It also has uh, the generic Republican beating Maggie Hassan of New New Hampshire. Now, notice I say generic Republican because the candidates will matter. But the Republicans look like they could pick up those four seats and have a 54-seat Senate majority, assuming they hold Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, which is very likely. But more important to that, moving forward, it looks like Joe Biden and the Democratic majority in the Senate may all be toast in 2024. Since the Reagan era... Democrats have averaged, I'm reading from Slow Boring, Matt Yingles' website, but somebody else wrote it. Who wrote it? Uh, Simon Bazelon wrote this. Since the Reagan era, Democrats have averaged roughly 51% of the two-party vote in presidential elections. If Biden gets the percentage of that vote and the correlation between the Senate and presidential vote stays as close as 0.95 as it was in 2020, then basically every Democratic senator in a state Joe Biden won by less than 2%, who is up in 2024, is likely to lose. This includes John Tester of Montana, Joe Manchin of West Virginia, Sherrod Brown of Ohio, Bob Casey in Pennsylvania, Tammy Baldwin in Wisconsin, Kristen Sinema in Arizona. In addition, Debbie Stabenow in Michigan and Jackie Rosen in Nevada will likely be toss-ups. They could lose all of those. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight seats. If the Republicans pick up four seats and they have a 54-seat majority and then they get eight seats, well... They only need six. They're probably going to get those six. Why? Because that would bring them to the magic number 60. Filibuster-proof Republican majority in 2024. Now, you got to get through 2022. Right now, you got Mark Kelly in Arizona. Biden won Arizona by three-tenths of a point. Raphael Warnock in Georgia. Biden won it by two-tenths of a point. It was stolen. We're not dealing with that right now. 
Uh, Catherine Cortez Masto in Nevada, Biden was up 2.4%. Maggie Hassan in, in New Hampshire, Biden was up 7.4%. Now, keep in mind, keep in mind, this is important. In Virginia and in New Jersey last year, the Democrats lost every single legislative seat where Biden won by 11 and three quarters of percent or less. So 11.75% or less flipped to the Republicans. This is the environment in which they are in. And by the way, if you haven't been paying attention, this is important for you. Inflation just hit the highest point since 1981. That's bad for the Democrats. You know, when I started out and could get nice quality sheets, I just thought I'm going to get a high thread count sheet. And if I get a high thread count sheet, it's going to be a really good sheet. Boy, did I learn that's not true. It's a myth. Boland Branch, however, uses the best 100% organic cotton threads on planet Earth for superior softness and a better night's sleep. You can get a really good high thread count sheet, but if the underlying sheet is, well, crap, um, it's not going to work for you. Boland Branch, however, my gosh, their sheets aren't just buttery, breathable, and impossibly soft to start, but they have the sign, the number one sign of a really good sheet. The more you wash them, the softer they get over time. And they don't tear up. They just get soft. It's perfect. You can try Bowl and Branch. They're the highest quality threads on earth for superior softness and a better night's sleep. They're th so luxurious. They're beloved by three United States presidents. And they've got over 10,000 stellar reviews. I'm one of them. I love my Bowl and Branch sheets. You can feel the difference the moment they come out of the bag. And every wash, it's just, man, they just transition to softer and softer. They're fantastic. Right now, get 20% off site-wide April 11th through 17th only at BolandBranch.com. That's BolandBranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com for 20% off site-wide April 11th to April 17th, BolandBranch.com. Okay, with all the doom and gloom for, and we're not done, by the way, there's more out there we need to discuss before we move on to other things. But with all the doom and gloom out there, can we just for a moment, please, can I just ask on behalf of everyone, what on earth was Donald Trump thinking endorsing Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania? There's some great candidates uh, there. Uh, the McCormick guy is actually a uh, pretty good candidate with an interesting background, and he's probably going to be the nominee. Dr. Oz. So Hannity is apparently uh, friends with the guy, and, and if press reports are to be believed, so is the former first lady. And they both kind of push Trump towards this. I have no idea what's going on, but it's not good. And, and so David McCormick, who is the billionaire candidate running against Dr. Oz, Dr. Oz himself, uh, very, very wealthy, well, McCormick dropped all the opposition research today, and it kind of just makes you wonder again. So Trump said essentially in the endorsement that, well, women will vote for him because they've seen him on TV. Yeah, that's probably why they won't. Here's the oppo ad from the McCormick campaign. I'm Dave McCormick, and I approve this message. The real Mehmet Oz. Senator Clinton, one of the smartest people I've ever met. Dr. Fauci is too, but he's a very disciplined leader. Yes. He's a wonderful scientist. We need to work with China. 
and I love working in China, challenging your beliefs about what it means to be male or female. How do we keep guns out of the wrong person's hands? The greatest national security threat that we have is obesity. And we haven't had any interaction with President Trump at all. Mehmet Oz, a complete and total fraud. Now, you should know when he's talking about obesity, he's with Michelle Obama talking about her her nutrition program. Remember when she uh, screwed up school lunches and made kids no longer want to eat school lunch? Yeah, he was had her with him to talk about how good it was. He's done an entire show on normalizing transgenderism. He's done multiple shows calling for gun regulation in this country. He's very pro-China, among other things, and this is who Donald Trump endorsed. Now, this is the problem. Now, contrast this with Ted Budd, a good dude in North Carolina who is probably going to be the nominee. McCrory, Governor McCrory, Pat McCrory had been ahead there for a long time, uh, but Ted Budd has now surged into the lead. WRAL News has a new poll up. It shows Bud with 33% support, McCrory with 23% uh, support, and former Representative Mark Walker with 7%. Uh, Bud looks like he's surging into the lead there, and he very well could um, take that spot. Now, you got Herschel Walker in Georgia. Herschel Walker is probably going to be the nominee unless uh, his opponents go ruthless on him. And the problem with going ruthless if it's you, voters tend to punish you and the other guy. They go for someone else. This was kind of the situation that led Matt Bevin to become governor in Kentucky. Matt Bevin was running against two different people. They got so nasty to each other. Bevin was in third place. The voters had enough of the dirt, and they went with Bevin, and he won. He became governor. This could happen. Uh, if you go too nasty against somebody, the voters tend to punish you for going nasty and the other guy for being who you said he was, and, and they go with somebody else. Uh, maybe that'll happen in Pennsylvania. I'm just absolutely uh, perplexed by the Trump endorsement of Oz. And it, it does feel like, feel, and yes, I, I mean, it is an emotional thing. The number, when that came out the other day, because it caught everybody by surprise, no one expected it. In fact, on the ground in Pennsylvania, uh, Oz does not have a ton of support, particularly among the grassroots base. And it was just a very weird thing. And I, my phone lit up. I didn't even know what happened. And all these people started texting me. It's like, what are y'all talking about? Donald Trump endorsed Dr. Oz. It's just weird. Then you've got the Mo Brooks situation in uh, Alabama. In Georgia, you've got David Perdue, who's doesn't look like he's going to cross the finish line, and several other candidates. Um, an attorney general pick who actually had left the practice of law and had to get back into it uh, before he qualified to run for attorney general against a very popular Attorney General Chris Carr, who was on the show last week. Uh, and he, he, it's just, it's weird, y'all. It's weird. I don't know what's going on here. But Dr. Oz is pro-gun control. He is pro-transgender transitioning. He is pro-Obama. Uh, he's anti-gun. And he, he's never been a never been a, a Trump fan. I just, I don't, I don't get this one. Uh, of all of all the ones to get, that's the one I don't get. Now, that gives Democrats some hope, frankly. See, the Democrats are truly in the view, if you talk to them privately right now, that it's bad for them. The Democrats know it's bad for them. Their saving grace, the thing that gives them hope, and it's the hope that's going to kill them, is that the Republicans will self-destruct. That really is where their heads are in the whole dynamic 
They hope genuinely, truly that the Republicans will self-destruct. And if you have a ruthless primary in Arizona, you have a ruthless primary in Georgia, you have a ruthless primary in Pennsylvania, it could happen. Now, the Democrats have their own problems in Wisconsin where it looks like the the far left of the far left because the Democrats are doing that. They're infighting so much. The moderate, more mainstream Democratic candidates are killing each other, and it's allowing a, a progressive progressive to rise, which plays right into Ron Johnson's hands for his reelection campaign. So it really depends on who self-destructs first. And, and, you know, some Republicans will self-destruct, but probably not a lot. This is such a bad year for Democrats. Deeply flawed candidates could get elected because the voters are so angry and their anger right now connects, their anger connects to the Democrats. Now, when we come back some more, the explain, look, we're going to move on to other stuff, but I'm, I find this fascinating. I'm hoping to make it fascinating for you. There's more data out there I want to explore when we come back. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the nation from my flagship station, WSB in Atlanta, Georgia. The phone number, if you'd like to be on this here program, 877-973-7425. If you're just tuning in, and my apologies to those of you who are Democrats listening, I'm laying out how much doom there is right now, particularly in light of the inflation data today. Things are just, the the signs are there and you might as well prepare yourself. Now listen, let me just pause here for a moment and say something. We have had bad years for Republicans. 2018 was a terrible year. And you know, I was honest and calculated and direct in 2018 and said as much and got all sorts of hate mail from my own side for talking down the election. And I just, I, you know, the party that controls the white house tends to lose in midterms. I've been there. I was there in, in 2006, I was covering politics then wasn't on radio yet. Uh, then I was, I was uh, not yet on radio in 2010, but I was on television. 2014 came the big wave. Uh, 2016 caught us all off guard. 2018, I knew what was going to happen. The party that controls the White House tends to do bad. Democrats, this is your turn. Don't worry about it. Uh, when the Republicans control the White House after 2024, come 2026, you'll be having a good night to a degree. Except for the Senate. And therein lies part of the problem for the Democrats. This isn't hyperbole. This is just the reality of the situation. If the Republicans capture control of the Senate this go-round, and they probably are at this point, then in six years from now, it's kind of going to be hard for the Democrats to replace it. In four years from now, in 2026, looking at the lay of the land of who's up for re-election. It's going to be hard for the Democrats. They'll certainly pick off a few senators, but it's going to be hard for them. They've got to run the table this time, and even if they run the table this time and they keep the Senate 50-50, come 2024, it's almost impossible, barring absurd anomalies in the election process, for them to be able to do so. It's the nature of the beast. Now, i got to say something here. Democrats are going, we can all, Charlie, you can put this one in the I told you so file. 
Democrats are going to, and I know this, I'm not stupid, neither are you, and we know they've already been doing this. Democrats are going to begin a process of trying to delegitimize the United States Senate. Because they can't win the Senate, they will try to delegitimize the Senate. They will start talking about how anti-democratic it is, et cetera. Now, you can't, here's the thing, under the American Constitution, you can't get rid of the United States Senate. Under the Constitution, under the plain language of the Constitution, no state shall ever give up its senators without the vote of the state. So if the states decide they want to fix the Senate, you've got to amend the Constitution, and then each state has to agree to give up its senators. It's not going to happen. All that will happen is the Democrats will use it to delegitimize anything that comes out of the Senate. And the Republicans may very well get to a 60-vote threshold where the filibuster becomes irrelevant. In fact, that's why I don't think you're going to see a big push by the Democrats anymore this year to try to get rid of the filibuster. Why would you get rid of the filibuster when the Republicans are about to take the Senate and given 2024 may take the presidency again? And it's too soon to say on that one. Remember, I mean, Obama in 2010 had the worst midterm election disaster of any sitting president ever. 64, 68 seats. And then at the local level, it was even worse. You had to go back to the 1890s after Reconstruction or during Reconstruction to find the biggest shakeup. But this was the biggest loss of seats of any president ever, Barack Obama in 2010, and then he won re-election in 2012. So you can't say what will happen in 2024 yet that, but you can't run the numbers in the Senate and say it's looking pretty grim in the Senate for 2024, given what's going on. But then for 2022, the data is beginning to shape up on how bad it is overall for the Democrats. I mean, just take uh, Abby Finkenauer. You, you probably don't know Abby Finkenauer. She was the favorite Democrat in Iowa. And she's been thrown off the Democratic primary ballot because she you got to collect signatures. You got to collect them from 19 different counties. You got to collect at least 3,500 signatures and they all have to be signed with the date after the signature. She collected 5,000 signatures. She got enough to meet the 19-county requirement, but after throwing out and disqualifying all of them, she came up three short and has been removed from the ballot by a judge. She's going to appeal. Maybe she can get back on, but this level of dysfunction in Iowa suggests Charles Grassley is safe when she was the one everybody was betting would be the nominee. And then there's this headline from ABC News, Democrats' enthusiasm problems worsen ahead of the midterms. The COVID outbreak coursing through official Washington isn't keeping President Joe Biden off the case or off the road, with the president set to outline new gun regulations and visit Iowa and North Carolina. Democrats need to generate all the momentum they can muster. The latest ABC News Ipsos poll shows a yawning enthusiasm gap for the party ahead of the midterms, with numbers that look even worse upon closer inspection. Looking at those most and least eager to vote this year tells an important aspect of the story. Among Republicans, 55% say they are enthusiastic about voting in the midterms compared to just 35% of Democrats, a number nearly identical to strong enthusiasm among independents, 34%. Meanwhile, 13% of Democrats say they are not at all enthusiastic about voting, a segment of voters, of course, that will be the hardest to draw off the sidelines. Only 5% of Republicans say the same, an encouraging sign. 
breaking things down by age offers some insight. Only 23% of 18 to 29-year-olds and 28% of 30 to 49-year-olds say they're enthusiastic, compared to 47% of 50 to 64-year-olds and 60% of those 65 and older. Voters in their 20s and 30s powered Biden's victory in 2020, and they're traditionally less likely to vote than the older people, particularly at a midterm, and now because they're depressed over the state of play. By the way, there is no movement in Biden's approval from the economy to Ukraine to crime, to immigration, to inflation. By the way, that reminds me, uh, over the weekend, the ABC News, or not the ABC News poll, that's the one we are just talking about, uh, the CBS News poll was brutal for the Democrats. Absolutely brutal. I mean, you had this commentary, of all things, on MSNBC. But if all those employed people can't buy groceries, we have a serious but that's problem. that's kitchen table, too. It's kitchen yes, table, yeah. but Mika, it's more than just messaging. It's more than whether or not Democrats have a slogan that says well, Democrats deliver. It's what are we actually going to do to intervene to try to lower prices, lower inflation, until people see that happen and feel it in their pocketbooks. Sometimes I don't think the messages message matter. Sometimes it's a problem problem. It's a yeah, problem exactly. problem. Exactly. you dealing with the problem, because yeah. let's remember that all of this happened while the Democrats were in power. You told us to put you in power, we put you in power, and now I can't afford the life I'm living. You've got to tell me how you're gonna deal with that because I put you in power there to understand me, not to preach to me. That's Al Sharpton talking, by the way. That's Al Sharpton. And the Pew poll, there's been a 26 point shift to the Republicans from college educated men. A 12 point shift uh, in uh, men with no college degree. The Dems only have a, a four-point lead now with women with a college degree, and uh, women with no college degree have shifted to the Republicans by two. Y'all, those are dangerous, dangerous numbers. And the fact that on MSNBC they're starting to be candid and honest, well, follow the money as well. That's a big sign. The Republican Governors Association raised $33.1 million in the first quarter of the year, besting the Democratic Governors Association by nearly $10 million during the first three months. The Republicans are going to play. And by the way, some of that money will be spent on primaries like with Brian Kemp. But uh, great googly moogly, um, it's not just the Democratic Governors Association. The Republican, uh, the National Republican Senatorial Committee outraised the Democrats in the Senate. The National, uh, Rep- the National Republican Congressional Committee in RCC for the House of Representatives outraised the Democrats there. The Republican State Legislative Association, the RSLA, that focuses on state legislatures, they've outraised the Democrats. The outside leadership packs for the Democrats in the, in the House and the Senate have been outraged by the Republican leadership packs of Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell following the money. That's always a warning sign for a party when the money moves away from them. Remember, back in 2018, the money moved pretty rapidly to the Democrats. The big donor dollars started flowing for the Democrats in 2020 at the presidential level. Uh, Joe Biden's team outpaced the Republican team when you take into account all the outside money that was spent. These are particularly problematic times for the Democrats because they're trying also to try to get something done. As I mentioned earlier, they haven't done anything. They did bipartisan infrastructure and nothing else. And one of the reasons is because they kept uh, stabbing Joe Manchin in the back 
and he got furious. This is a headline from the Politico. The new White House rule, do not talk about Joe Manchin. The fate of President Joe Biden's domestic agenda may hang on his administration's ability to do just one simple thing. Shut up. Four months after Biden's Build Back Better plan collapsed amid a bitter back and forth with Joe Manchin of West Virginia, the White House is taking a final shot at resuscitating its social spending bill, and this time it's vowing a sharply different approach to negotiations. Top Biden officials are keeping their ambitions vague. They're steering clear, firm deadlines. More importantly, they're trying as hard as possible to just not talk about it. They do not want to antagonize Joe Manchin, who is signaling he's up for a deal. By the way, Kristen Cinema says the deal is dead on arrival in her book. They need to spend no more money right now. So they can get to Joe Manchin. They may not be able to get to Kristen Cinema now. They're going to pour all of their energy into this. They're not going to get nearly what progressives want. They could lose this again and get another black eye. It's just not a favorable situation for the Democrats in America right now. Now, listen, again, I don't want to keep the pile on, but you need to understand what you're looking at here. We are April 12th, April 12th of 2022. The primaries have begun. The general election is not until November. And historically, presidential polling declines between now and November. It is very rare in a midterm election to have a president's popularity go up. Let me say that again. It is rare in a midterm election to have a president's popularity go up. The president has a, uh, he is uh, in the real clear politics poll on average, disapproved 53.8, approved 41.4. So he's got a, a spread of 12.4%. Reuters has him down five. Economist has him down seven. Politico has him down 13. Quinnipiac has him down 14. Maris has him down 16. Harvard has him down 16. NBC News has him down 13. Y'all, these are terrible numbers for a sitting president of the United States. And he's now going to try to negotiate with Joe Manchin and may get another black eye. This isn't smart of the White House. Well, I got an email from a listener. I did not make it to the Masters. You know, y'all can follow me on Instagram uh, at E.W. Erickson. That's where I kind of live life. And you would have known I, I wasn't able to make it. My wife was still too sick on Saturday. I had to take the son to soccer. Uh, and listen, I got a lot of people saying, oh, you should have just let somebody else. One of Y'all don't understand the situation with getting his gear on. Uh, I wouldn't want to inflict that on anyone else. But also, my wife was sick. I wasn't going to leave my wife even for the Masters. As much as I wanted to, she was sick. She is recovering from COVID. We had this awkward moment yesterday where I had to call the doctors off. This morning, I had to take my son in for um, a an assessment for, oh, what is it, ADHD or whatever. We, we, we don't want to do a medicated approach. Several of his teachers have said we should go to this particular place that they're very good at helping with behavioral techniques to help him focus. He's, I mean, a seventh grade boy, what do you expect? So, but we don't want to put him on medication or anything. And these uh, doctors of this group specialize in uh, non-medicated uh, treatment for it. But I had to call and I was like, hey, my wife had COVID. We're fine. We've been tested. We're negative. We don't have symptoms other than allergies. We don't have anything. Can we come? Because this appointment, it took us six months to get on the books. It's like, please don't schedule us. Please don't cancel us. And like, no, come on in. We don't care. Thank goodness. My wife is doing fine, by the way. Uh, she has healed. 
she, I mean, she's still got a ways to go, but uh, she is doing much better. It was, she got strep and uh, then got diagnosed with COVID. And we don't know how she got it. She is super careful, uh, virtual hermit. Uh, they did go to the beach, but they ate outdoors. They didn't eat indoors. They were very careful where she went. Uh, they went to Gulf Shores for the, to the beach. I had to stay home and work and super careful, still got it. At this point, I'm kind of sure that everybody's going to get it, but this is what I want to say. I know that when people say, um, I got I got COVID, I'm so thankful I got the shot. There are a lot of conservatives who you, I thought you would get it. Listen, they oversold and missold the vaccine. It is clear at this point you can still get COVID. But I got to tell you guys, my wife has a uh, compromised immune system with her chemo for her lung cancer. She had strep and she got COVID and the second dose of the Moderna vaccine was worse on her than COVID. The second shot left her in bed in just misery for days on end. And with COVID, it took away her energy, took away her voice, but she didn't have any impact on her lungs or anything. Now, me, you know, I was in a hotel room with my dad back in August. He had COVID. I never got it. I took a road trip a couple of months ago with a buddy of mine. We were on the road for a couple of days. And it turns out he had COVID, got really sick after we got back. Um, I didn't get it. My brother-in-law got it. I sat next to him over a couple of days at Christmas. I didn't get it from him. And now around Christy, and I haven't gotten it from her. Uh, and I've gotten the, the vaccine and the boost. I'm telling you all, uh, with a good, healthy system, in most cases, it still works. And if you're compromised like my wife, she has really not had a horrible impact from COVID. It hasn't been good. She's been very, very tired. There were a couple of days where she was in bed, but it could have been so much worse, particularly given her lung cancer. I am very thankful for the vaccine. I don't understand why Big Pharma is the bad guy here. Thanks to Big Pharma, my wife takes a pill every day that keeps her tumors from growing in her lungs. And they have stopped growing. They have not grown in five years. The pill is only supposed to work for two. She's five years in on this chemo. Uh, it's a pill she takes every day, and the tumors still aren't growing. And thanks to Moderna and its COVID vaccine, she got hit by COVID and had a very minimal case of it. And had she not had the vaccine, it probably would have been far worse. Now, part of it as well, I do need to acknowledge, is the COVID variant now spreading around is not nearly as bad as it first was. But still, I'm a big believer in big pharma. I think capitalism is great and big pharma is a way to do it. I, I realize they got subsidies and stuff for taking care of the, the COVID vaccine. But overall, yay, big pharma. I don't understand why they're the, the, the bad guy for so many conspiracy theorists and others out there when they have given us so many life-saving treatments. Now, that said, I didn't get to go to the Masters. I'm hoping I'm entering the lottery for next year. I know I'm going to lose again. I have tried for 21 years and have lost that lottery every damn time. But a buddy of mine said he'll take me next year. So I'm going to go. I, I, Good Lord will it and the creek don't rise next year. I will go to the Masters since I couldn't go this year. I watched it at home on my really big TV, and it was fantastic. I don't typically watch golf on TV, but I watch the Masters on TV. And uh, watching uh, that game was just amazing. Some of those hits and so much luck. You know, this is one of the things that that just uh, confounds me with golf is how lucky so many shots can be. So Scotty Scheffler, the, the winner, actually had a really bad day on Sunday. It was not a good round of golf for him. 
Had he had that before, no one would even be talking about him. Uh, but he had consistently two good days of golf. And then that third round, and of course he double bogeyed on the final putt, and he won. And it was it was amazing to watch. It really was. Uh, and, and he's apparently a very good dude. I don't know him. I know a couple of people who know him, went to high school with him, and they just adore the guy. Say he's super nice, uh, good Christian guy, loves his wife, loves his family, and is just down to earth. You'd never know he was now a massive multimillionaire and the number one golfer in the world. It was a great game. Next year, I'm going. When we come back, we got to get into the rest of the news of the day. It's 2022. Things are still crazy. Things haven't settled down. And now you got the Federal Reserve and interest rates. You got the economy. You got inflation. A lot of banks won't even return your phone call. Let's say you're a small business and you need a loan for $750,000 or higher. You see an opportunity where banks, they don't even want to see you. You want to buy a building. You want to build a building. Reach out to the Frost family at First Liberty Building and Loan. They've been helping small businesses become big businesses since the 1990s. They want to help you if they can. So spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a good fit for them and they're a good fit for you. Their website is firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. Again, you need a loan, $750,000 or higher. You're a small business and you see an opportunity to grow. Share it with the Frost family and see if they can help you. Firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. First Liberty Building and Loan can help businesses nationwide become bigger businesses.